Jesus says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And Father, we ask now as we open the Word of God, that by your Holy Spirit, you would just give us understanding and clarity regarding this portion of your Word that our worship of you can continue now as we just submit our hearts and minds to what you would speak to us by the voice of your Spirit through this portion of the Holy Word of God. We ask, speak to us, bless your Word, prepare us, and let us hear what you would say. And we ask in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I'm not really the greatest at titling messages, but certainly this passage of Scripture and the words of Jesus here could probably very easily uh, be sort of titled Holy Spirit 101. Because Jesus here now begins, as I said last time in our study together, kind of a section where he really begins kind of a, a series on the Holy Spirit, giving to us teaching about the Holy Spirit, who he is, what his ministry is. And really the, the point Jesus is trying to convey to us in the midst of this is that as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, it is very important for us to know that the spiritual life was never intended to be lived in our own strength. It was never something where we would make a decision to say, okay, I want to follow Jesus, and then by human effort, we would then try and follow Jesus or experience a spiritual life by our own human endeavors. Rather, it's intended, the spiritual life, to be lived by the ongoing assistance of the Spirit of God himself helping us to have relationship with God, to follow Jesus Christ, to obey him. And this is what Jesus is really trying to convey to his followers as he now starts this teaching on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Again, remember the backdrop of John 14 through 16 particularly. Jesus is now within the last few hours of his earthly life as a man. Within a matter of hours, he's going to be arrested and then suffer and be crucified and put to death. <clears throat> and therefore, he's informed his disciples, as we've seen in prior portions of John, he's clearly told the disciples that he is now about to depart from them that he's no longer going to be with them as he has been for the last three and a half years, that he is going away. Of course, he's made it clear that he's going back to be with the Father in heaven from whence he's already originally came. When he came to earth, he had already been with the Father and he's informing them that he's now departing from them, that he's going back to the Father and he's told them, where I'm going, you cannot come right now. You'll follow me after, but you can't come with me as I depart from you. And the indication of his departure from them is causing their hearts, understandably so, to be rather troubled. Uh, they're kind of concerned, and you have to put yourself into their sandals. The disciples clearly had become very dependent upon Jesus at this point in time. I mean, for the last three plus years, they had been living with Jesus 24-7. 
He's been traveling around with them. He's been ministering with them, teaching them, doing his miracles. And they have been living with him as their leader and their guide spiritually. And whatever need arose, Jesus took care of it. Uh, if they had a whole bunch of people to feed and they didn't have enough supplies, they gave Jesus five loaves and two fish and he miraculously multiplied the food and was able to feed thousands of people. When a storm arose and it looked like they were going to die in the midst of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus would just speak and instantaneously, miraculously, the wind and the waves would obey him and the storm would go calm. When the Pharisees and religious leaders would hassle them, Jesus would come to their defense. When they didn't understand something, Jesus would explain it to them I mean he was, was kind of a handy guy to have around and now he's saying I'm not going to be with you anymore I'm, I'm going to depart from you I'm not going to be among you anymore we can understand how this would really concern them this troubled them they could not envision how could we possibly live for God without you how could we possibly get by without you? I mean, you do everything for us. You lead us and teach us and his presence and his power and his help not being with them. They can't envision how this could possibly exist and how they could make it. So it's to this concern and to those questions in their heart that Jesus now begins to address that concern in their heart. Now look again in verse 16. It's with that idea that Jesus says to them with this concern and I will pray or ask the ideas the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus here indicates that God will now send the Spirit, he says, to replace or to fulfill the role, if you would, of the physical presence and the ministry of Jesus amongst his followers. That the Spirit of God is going to take on the role of providing the help that the Son of God once did for a period of about three or so years when he was with his disciples. Now, in these statements here, we don't want to miss it, by bird's eye perspective from far off, Jesus and what he is saying here clearly reveals the doctrinal truth of what we refer to as the Trinity. The Trinity. We have Jesus here speaking about God the Father giving the Spirit of God. And again, the Bible teaches the concept of God as a Trinity. The Trinity means the existence of one God who's chosen to manifest or reveal himself in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all three of those persons are fully unified in their divine purpose and activity. All three, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are equal in divinity, in their divine attributes and nature. They function uniquely in their roles in this mysterious, wonderful way, but yet are completely operating as one as God. And Jesus wanting to answer their concerns of him leaving now and no longer being with them says to them in these verses here, listen, don't worry. I promise you that after I die and I rise from the dead and I ascend back to the Father, he says to them, look at it in verse 16, he says, I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to give you another helper. 
I'm not going to be here anymore. But he says, I'm going to talk to the Father when I get there. We already have this plan. He says, in mind, there's nothing to be concerned about. He's going to send another helper to be with you forever. That is continuously on an ongoing basis. And he says, this helper is the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, the plan is when I depart and ascend back to the right hand of the Father, he says, the Father is then going to send someone to function in my place. He's saying to help you just like I once did. This is what's going to happen. He refers to the Holy Spirit as the helper. The Greek term there is parakletus. It's, it's a compound word. And it literally, that compound term means one who comes alongside of someone who is in need to provide assistance to them. Para, to come alongside. The second part of the term means a helper, a, a comforter, an assistant, a counselor. So Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the helper, one who comes alongside with someone who has need to provide assistance to them in their need. In this case, it's a reference to providing assistance for the help that's needed for the spiritual life. Now, here's what's very interesting and insightful. The terms that Jesus uses when he says there in verse 16 that the Holy Spirit would be another helper. Now, we don't pick this up right away in the English, but in the Greek language, which is a much more sophisticated language, which the New Testament was written in, than our English language. They actually had two different terms to explain the word another and here's the point behind this. The term Jesus uses there is another referring to another of the same kind rather than another meaning another of a different kind. Let me illustrate. My wife loves these uh, scented candle things. There's a different aroma for not only every room of our house, but about every three feet of our house. You can pick up a new scent. But let's say you get one of those scented candles. I buy her one and, and I give her that scented candle and she says, I don't really like this one. No worries, honey. I understand what it's like to shop when I'm shopping for you. Always save your receipt, babe. Here's the receipt. She says, I don't like this one. I'm going to go back and get another. That idea is I'm going to go back and get another of a different kind. I'm going to go get another, but it's going to be a different kind, a different scent. Now, Let's say that she comes into the house and, and is there and, and she has a girlfriend come over and she walks through the door and she says, oh, oh, what is that? Cranberry crazy crush or, you know, oh, that's, oh, that's wonderful. I love that. And my wife being the generous woman, she is, oh, you like, no, you like that? Great. No, we're here. You take the cranberry crazy crush and I'll go back to Yankee Candle and get another the idea there is another of the exact same kind. You see the difference? Jesus uses the term not another of a different kind, but another helper, another of the exact same kind. He purposely uses that term here. What Jesus is conveying very clearly is this, is that the Holy Spirit would be another helper, but he would be another of the exact same kind that Jesus was. Why? because he's the third person of the Trinity. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all one in divine nature and attributes. Jesus is saying, listen, the Holy Spirit, this helper, he says he's going to be exactly like me. 
There's going to be no difference, he says. He'll be the same kind of person in every way, no difference, no variation, because he's exactly like Jesus. He's another of the same kind. He's the third person of the Trinity. Now, please take note if you haven't already. This is very important to understand the, the role and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Please hear this. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's a person. The Holy Spirit is not a force. He, he's not a uh, impersonal power like electricity. You know, don't get this idea in your mind that the Holy Spirit, you know, we uh, got very big into Star Wars once again. And remember in Star Wars, the whole concept was the force. Luke had to learn how to challenge the force, the force, Luke. And sometimes people have this idea of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit is like a, like a force. He, he's, he's like electricity. And, and, some, and the reality is this. Notice when Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit, he purposely is using personal pronouns. If you, again, if you look with me particularly, Jesus says he will abide with you forever. Look at verse 17. Take notice. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him, not it, neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Whenever Jesus and whenever the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit, it never refers to the Holy Spirit as an it. It always refers the Bible and Jesus himself to the Holy Spirit in personal pronouns. He, him, whom, indicating that the Spirit of God is a person. He is the third person of the Trinity in the same way God the Father has a personage Jesus is a person of the Godhead the Holy Spirit is a person that's very important because you can't have a personal experience or a relationship with a force you can't have a personal experience or relationship with a power like electricity but you can have a personal relationship with a person the third person of the Trinity, meaning we can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit even as we do with God the Father and God the Son. And doctrinally, we have to realize that is really important to understand who the Holy Spirit is, not what he is or, or not what, you know, kind of the idea of, of well, what is it that the Spirit does? No, no. Who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? How does he operate? This is very, very essential to the spiritual life. Jesus is indicating here this is now the one, the person from the Trinity, who will now primarily be at work among the world and in the lives of God's people. Now notice with the term Jesus uses, the general ministry, you could say, or the overall purpose, if you were to narrow it down, of the Holy Spirit's coming to the follower of Jesus is to help in our spiritual life. If you were to reduce to the most basic terms, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Jesus calls him what? Verse 16, another helper. In the most basic of terms and description, this when we think of the Holy Spirit should be what we understand. This is what his most basic ministry is, to be a helper. He's a divine helper that has been given to us a part of God who has been granted to us in a very personal way. God giving us a part of himself in the person of his spirit from the Godhead and the Trinity. He is the one now who has come to assist us in all things spiritual. 
He is the divine helper who enables us to live the Christian life, which is a supernatural life. We, we are not supposed to live the Christian life in natural means. The Christian life is a supernatural life. Jesus does not ask us to live in supernatural ways by natural effort of our own ability. Again, what are things that Jesus said? Love your enemies. Forget that. That's supernatural, man. Forgive. Okay, I'm going to forgive. You can't forgive on your own. Are you kidding me? Forgiveness is supernatural. We can say I forgive you, but true spiritual forgiveness, it's a supernatural thing because the human heart doesn't want to forgive and it doesn't know how to forgive. But the Spirit of God gives us the supernatural power to live a supernatural life. He supplies us the assistance, the corresponding help needed because God knows our human weakness and its needs and its limitations. And so therefore he realizes you can't naturally live the Christian life. It's a supernatural life. And though, therefore the helper, the Holy Spirit, is the one who grants us this ability. The help of the Spirit happens in so many different forms so many different ministries does he have? For example, just to mention a few, it's the Holy Spirit who awakens us to the very existence of God. It's the Holy Spirit who quickens us and gives us the ability to have a relationship with the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit who enables me to live a holy life. He is the one who convicts me of sin. He's the one who empowers you to overcome sin. He gives us the power to obey the spiritual commands of Scripture. These are spiritual commands. We can't live spiritual commands in the Word of God without the help of the spiritual assistance of the Holy Spirit. And let me just say, this is one of the things that makes Christianity distinctly different than every other world religion that exists out there. Because they may have a religious or a holy book that says, live this way, do this, follow that, obey that command. But they offer no power. Jesus says, I'm asking you to live this way, to love people, to forgive, to, to, to live a holy life. But Jesus says, but I'm a risen Savior and I'm going to give you the living power of the Spirit of God to help you to live the way that I'm asking you to live. So the Holy Spirit is the one who works in our lives. He helps us in the way by where he is the one transforming us to be more Christ-like, changing our inward nature. The Holy Spirit is our helper and that he assists us in our prayer life. He gives us discernment. He helps us to understand and follow the will of God for our life. It's the Holy Spirit who aids us in our understanding of the Bible when we read it. And when we study it, and it's the Holy Spirit who empowers us for ministry and operates the spiritual gifts. And that's just to mention a few. When you study the New Testament of the different ministries and ways the Holy Spirit helps us, one of his ministries we can take note of even from what Jesus calls him here, which is this, is to know truth and to avoid error. Do you see how Jesus titles the Holy Spirit in verse 17? He calls him the Spirit of Truth. The Spirit of Truth. This is how Jesus identifies the Spirit. He's the one who will guide us into all truth about spiritual matters. He's the one that guides us into the truth of who God really is and who God is not. And what is accurate spiritually and what's not accurate spiritually. He's the one that helps us to be able to discern those things. It's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth when He's operating in your life that helps you discern. I may not be able to fully identify it, but something seems wrong about this because it's error. 
And it's the spirit of truth that's saying, right, you know what's true because I dwell within you and that's error. And, and, and the spirit of truth helps us in these many ways to determine what's false, to, to lead us to sort out what is true and what's not. And the wonderful thing is he's like this inner judge that can evaluate everything that's going on in our life and among our life. It's like having the, the absolute foolproof faultless lie detector right within yourself helping you in your conscience even to the very thing of listen helping you not to succumb to feelings and thoughts that are just not true we sing a worship song i forget the remainder but one part of it says my thoughts deceive me and my feelings lie they're always drifting like an ocean tide but i'm anchored deep in your great love and listen there are times when you're thinking things that are just not true there are times that you're having feelings. They are real feelings, legitimate feelings, but they're just not true. It's just the way that you feel. It's just the thoughts that you're thinking. And the Holy Spirit is able to help discern and help us to understand, yeah, I feel this way and I think this, but that's not true. That's not true. God's word says that it's different and, and though that may be what you're feeling, it's not reality and, and it helps us in this wonderful way having the Holy Spirit within us because he bears witness to us of these things and he's the spirit of truth who guides us into truth and helps us to follow what is true and obey the truth. And because the Holy Spirit's a person, again, Jesus says here we can know him intimately and he says there are others as well who will not know him because they will reject and ignore him. Do you see what Jesus says of him in verse 17? He says the spirit is whom the world cannot receive, he says, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you, Jesus says, as my followers, you know him. Here's what Jesus is communicating to the unsaved world and the one who does not believe they refuse the person and the existence of the Holy Spirit because they refuse what they can't see with their eyes. This is what the unsaved world naturally does. Think about it. Many people rejected Jesus and Jesus was living right there in the physical flesh. They could see Jesus with their eyes and they rejected Jesus who they could see physically. How much more is the unsaved world going to reject the Holy Spirit who's invisible whom they cannot see because he's not inhabiting a body as Jesus did for a time. Therefore, the unsaved world is not going to be receptive to the person in the ministry of the Spirit. They won't see him. They won't know him because they'll reject him because of their inability to receive and accept spiritual things because of the unbelief that has a blinding effect in their heart. Listen to 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, it describes it this way. It says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. See, apart from the Spirit of God, it's like the difference between walking around this room with the lights on or the lights off. You just don't see it. You don't, you don't perceive the reality of spiritual things in the spiritual dimension that that's why listen i remember even before i was saved so i don't condemn those who aren't saved in this sense uh, before i was a christian if someone tried to talk to me about spiritual things or the bible and they may be the most articulate individual explain it perfectly accurately i'd be like what i mean it just 
It just sounded like foolishness. It made no sense. Why? It made no sense. Because I didn't have the Spirit of God and these things are spiritually discerned. That's why I, go, I don't understand. I mean, I presented the gospel to my unsaved friend or loved one so clear and I said, do you want to receive Jesus Christ? And I was thinking, boy, this is it. Here we go. And they said, no. Well, wait a minute. See, forgiveness of sins, the, all your guilt taken away. You can have peace inside and, and make peace with God. You can know you're going to heaven after you die and you'll have purpose and direction. And, you, I, and do you want to accept Jesus? No. And you're thinking, are you a fool? Yes. Because the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And Jesus tells us here, some won't know the work of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2 says that they can't receive the things of the Spirit because they're foolishness to them. It's just foolishness to them. It doesn't make sense because the Spirit of God is not something that they are open to in their life. Now, those who have faith in Jesus become awakened to spiritual things. And as a result of that, we are receptive to the work of the Spirit. That's why Jesus says, you, my followers, you, you will know him. You will have an intimate sense of an awareness of his existence because of the relationship spiritually that is there. 1 Corinthians 2 says this as well. Now, we have received, Christians, the spirit of the, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, listen, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. God has revealed these things to us through his spirit. It tells us in Romans chapter 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. See, what happens is when the Helper, the Holy Spirit, actually through our faith in Christ, we open the door of our heart and the Spirit of God enters into our life, the lights are turned on inwardly. There's an illumination of the soul and now the Spirit of God, His Spirit's bearing witness with our spirit in the spiritual dimension and now we begin to see and understand because the Holy Spirit's revealing those things. So Jesus is trying to say here, listen, this is a reality. The world can't see him. They won't know him, but you know him. You have a sense and there's this ability to either know the Spirit or kind of reject and resist the Spirit. And Jesus indicates for those who will know the Spirit, he indicates in fact in these verses here, notice two relationships that a person can have with the Spirit of God, that the Holy Spirit can be with a person and the Holy Spirit also can be in a person. Look what he says in verse 17. He says, you know him for he dwells with you and will be, he tells them, in you. So one relationship that a person can have with the Holy Spirit is where the Holy Spirit would be with them. That is alongside of them doing things. Up until Jesus' departure back into heaven, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, he has been with us here. He has been working among you, Jesus was telling his disciples. The Spirit had been with them helping, no doubt, in situations where they were separated from Jesus physically. When he'd send them out to go do ministry two by two and they would preach and they would prophesy and do miracles. And he looked, the Holy Spirit, he's been with you. He's already been with you, helping you in that time. And the Spirit was the one who was with people, revealing to them and convincing them who Jesus was as the Son of God. And the Holy Spirit being with a person, listen, is really the primary ministry of the Spirit of God in the unconverted person's life. Until a person opens their heart and life to Jesus and the things of the Spirit within the Holy Spirit is with them and he's the one courting them 
And he's the one working in their life. And the Holy Spirit is with them like the hound of heaven, trying to convince them of their spiritual need and their condition. And he's convicting us and letting us sense a, a reality of our own guilt. And it's the Holy Spirit with the person who's trying to point the unconverted person to Jesus saying, this is the Savior. This is what you need, this salvation thing that people are talking. And the Holy Spirit is with the world and with the lives of unbelievers trying to bring them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But Jesus says here, notice secondly, another relationship that can be had. He says, however, verse 17 to the disciples, and he will be, future tense to them, in you. Now he speaks of another experience or relationship with the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit will be inside of a person. The idea is indwelling them, residing within people. Jesus was introducing here the spiritual reality and concept of what was about to take place after his death and resurrection and ascension back into heaven. That is that going forward for the believer and the follower of Jesus, there would now be this availability of the spirit entering inside of a person. And this would be the new experience, the current spiritual experience of a person who receives Jesus as, as Savior and Lord. At the moment of your salvation of my salvation at the moment of conversion as we call it spiritually when a person receives Jesus Christ by faith as their savior for their sin and chooses to turn and follow him as their Lord a spiritual experience happens a genuine spiritual experience happens where the Holy Spirit enters inside of a person and he actually indwells the person their life becomes inhabited with the very Spirit of God. The Helper moves on the inside. This is what Jesus is referring to. The New Testament teaches this spiritual truth for the Christian of the Spirit coming to reside within us. 1 Corinthians 3 and 6 tell us that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, it repeatedly states that the Spirit of God dwells in you. This is the experience of the Christian, the child of God. And notice Jesus says, not just will the Holy Spirit dwell in you, but beautifully in verse 16, he mentions as well that he will abide with you forever. The idea there is in contrast to Jesus being with him temporarily and then departing. Jesus is saying, listen, the Holy Spirit, he is going to come and dwell you and he assures them the Spirit will be with them, remain with them permanently. He's going to be with you constantly. He's going to be with you day by day, hour by hour. He's not just going to pay a periodic visit and then depart again. Jesus says, no, he's going to remain with you forever. That when he enters into you at the moment of your conversion experience, Jesus says he will be a constant resident. He will remain within you constantly and never depart. And he will be there with you day by day, hour by hour to help you in every way in your spiritual life to grow, to mature, to have power over sin, to live for Jesus, to love people, to do everything that's entailed in serving the Lord, Jesus says, he'll never leave you. He's going to be with you forever. He'll be there to help you in every way. Now, Jesus then goes on, verse 18, to say, and I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus assures them, though he's departing physically, he says, in no way does that mean I'm abandoning you spiritually. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Now, again, what's an orphan? An orphan is someone who's been abandoned. And so, therefore, they don't have needed help. 
or support or provision or the things that a person needs. So an orphan struggles because they don't have assistance. They don't have someone helping them and someone there to give what they lack and support. They feel alone and helpless and they're hopeless because they lack support. And Jesus is trying to use this analogy, promising that though he's going away, he says, listen, I'm going away, but I'm not going to orphan you. I'm not going to leave you abandoned and leave you all alone spiritually where you have to struggle on your own without my presence or without my support. He says, instead, rather, look what he promised. He says, I will come to you. He's promising he's going to come back to them. How was he going to come back to them? Go ahead. Through the Holy Spirit. All right, class, 101. We pass. We can do 102. He's going to come to them through the person of the Spirit. The risen Christ, the resurrected Jesus is going to come and he would not be with them physically anymore as a man, but he would now be not just with them, but within them spiritually, dwelling within them. Listen to how Paul describes it in Romans 8. He says, The Spirit of God dwells in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Do you hear there the interchange of terms? Right there in the Bible. Spirit of Christ and Spirit of God. Spirit, the same. Spirit of Christ, Spirit of God. The both being one. And he says the very Jesus who lived in a body of flesh, that Jesus by the person of the Spirit will dwell within the believer to help us and assist us. As a follower of Jesus, how wonderful. We don't have to be fearful or troubled how am I going to live this Christian life? How am I going to live this spiritual life? Uh, you're not going to live the spiritual life alone. If you don't know Jesus and, you, and you're not truly following the Lord, please don't go, oh, I just, I just can't live like them Christians. I, I remember thinking that. I just, I, I'm not going to be a Christian because I don't want to be one of those hypocrites. So I just, that's it. I'm not, I don't want to follow. Listen, the Bible teaches that we don't live the Christian life alone. Jesus comes and lives within us to help us live in relationship with him and to follow him. The Bible says to us in Galatians 4, 6, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Here's what the Bible teaches. Please hear me. It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself who helps us to live for Christ, to live as a Christian. Oh, I don't know how to live as a Christian. Neither do I. That's part of the problem. Sometimes the biggest problem with Christians is we're trying to live the Christian life instead of letting Jesus, the living Christ, live out his life through us. It's almost as if sometimes I wonder if Jesus is inside of me saying, would you stop trying to live the Christian life? Get out of my way. I'm Christ. I know how to be a Christian. Let me live through you. I live within you. My spirit is within you. And the true reality of Christianity, ladies and gentlemen, is not imitation. What would Jesus do? It's impartation. The life of Jesus has been imparted to us. And we are to yield to Jesus and let Jesus, Jesus, what do you want me to see? Jesus, what do you want me to say today? 
Jesus, where do you want me to go? How do you want to use my hands? How do you want to use my feet? My life is yours. This body is yours. My body is now an available physical body to you by your spirit as you live in me. And this is the beautiful thing that Jesus is trying to convey. Look what he says, verse 19. He says, a little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. So because Jesus would be dying, raising from the dead and descending back into heaven, again, his presence would be in a different form, if you would. This is the idea again here. He's saying the world, the unconverted without faith, he says, they will see me no more shortly. See, the last time the world saw Jesus from their perspective and vantage point was when he died on the cross and they buried him in a tomb. And because of unbelief, they no longer have any perception of the life of Christ still existing and of the presence of Christ still being at work because of the existence of the spiritual and eternal dimension. The world no longer sees these things because the world doesn't perceive what is spiritual and eternal because when a person will not believe, they are blinded to spiritual and eternal realities. They don't see the dimension of the Spirit. They don't perceive the reality of the existence of Christ and the ministry of the Spirit of God. Jesus says, however, here that his followers, look what he says there, will still see him. He says, but you, though the world will see me, but you, my followers, you will see me. See, they would still see Jesus because faith sees the invisible. Through the eye of faith, they not only saw Jesus after he rose from the dead when he appeared to them in glorified form, but the believer continues to see Jesus through the eye of faith. Those who have faith have an awareness of Jesus' life and the presence of his life even though he is now departed from this earth physically as a man because faith sees that which is invisible and can perceive the spiritual and the eternal. I'll tell you, faith gives the ability to see things beyond the natural eye. And this is a wonderful, wonderful gift. It grants the ability to have perception of another very real dimension. A dimension that's spiritual. A dimension that is just as much real, quite frankly, it is more real than this very physical, tangible, material dimension. A dimension which is spiritual and eternal. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 that followers of Jesus do not look at the things which are seen but of the things which are not seen, the things which are eternal. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that as Christians, we walk by faith and not by sight. And can I just say how wonderful, man, how wonderful it is to be able to live by faith and to be able to see the Lord. To be able to see the Lord, not with the natural eye. Because see, we may have these abilities to perceive. We hear things, we see things, we taste things. But, but there is a whole other ability to be able to perceive in a whole other way. It's through the lens of faith. To be able to see the Lord and to be able to see and perceive by faith how He is at work in invisible ways. And to see the Lord at work and to see the Spirit of God moving and doing what he is doing because we see that through faith. And this is what Jesus was conveying when he was trying to say, certainly the world doesn't see, but he says, but you will see me. You'll continue to see. He then goes on, verse 19, he says, and because I live, you will live also. And at that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. So he's indicating here 
this unified or shared existence or experience that will take place between him and his father. And now he includes us even as his followers. He says here in these verses, Jesus says, you know, that is, you'll sense, you'll be aware by your experience, he says. And then he uses these terms that I am in the father and you in me and I in you. Now, I read that at first. It almost sounds like, wait a minute, who's on first? What's on second? And where's the guy on third? I mean, uh, I'm in you, you're in me, I'm in the Father. Who, who, who's what? What, what, are we, what are we doing here? What Jesus is simply trying to do is communicate the in-depth, deep unity and intimacy of a shared experience that takes place spiritually. That in the same way among the Trinity, once his work on earth is completed and the Spirit is given, even as he and the Father are one, shared life, shared experience in that reality, he says we as his followers to a similar extent are going to have this wonderful experience with him. Jesus says here that as his followers through our lives being joined with him, Jesus says you will be in me. You will be in me. Now the idea there refers to being in Christ, the New Testament teaches. That positionally, just like when my wife married me, we became one. She took on my name and my identity. She took on a new identity. And when we come to Jesus, we become in Christ. Positionally, we're in Christ. So when God looks at you by your faith in Jesus, he doesn't see you in your sin or your sinfulness. He sees you in the righteousness of Christ. And that's how he relates to you because you're in Jesus. But if that weren't enough, Jesus says, beyond that, he says as well, I'm also going to be in you, he says there. You're in me, but he says, I also will be in you. And the idea there again is the indwelling presence of Jesus' life by the Holy Spirit being within us. In fact, he says, look at the end of verse 19 with me. He says, in fact, because I live, you will live also. Jesus imparts his very current resurrected life to us continuously, the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead and is now very much still alive to this very day with an unending life, his eternal existence, and he now lives victoriously. He's conquered sin, he's conquered death, and he has an eternal life. Jesus is reminding us here that he supplies and sustains that very life to us because I live. You will live because of my life. My life sustains your life, he's saying. My life supplies what you need for spiritual life. His eternal quality of life is what is given to us to give us an eternal quality of life. John says it this way. He says, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. Jesus is God. He possesses eternal life. And so if we don't possess Jesus, we can't possess eternal life because Jesus gives us eternal life. Jesus gives us spiritual life. The point he is trying to convey is that we can live a spiritual life and have eternal life because of the current life of Jesus today. It's because of who Jesus is. The spiritual and eternal life of the Christian is completely dependent upon the life of Christ. And this is important for us to always remember. Living as a Christian, as I said before, is intended to be a supernatural life. It's a supernatural life. He supplies to us what we need supernaturally. And that's experienced and provided to us how? By the Spirit's indwelling presence in our life as a follower of Jesus. As someone who has 
opened the door of our heart when Jesus knocked upon it and received him in and Jesus entered into us by the Spirit of God coming into our life. Hey, perhaps this morning, as we all do at times, you've been struggling in your Christian life in some way. And maybe part of that struggle is tied to that you've been trying to live out the Christian life in your own determination, your own understanding, and your own human strength. Where even sometimes with familiarity, you almost put the Christian life on autopilot. And you think, I know how to do the Christian life. You say the prayers, you read the Bibles, you go to church, you you say the link. And, and you're finding you're struggling in the Christian life because you've reduced the Christian life to religion. And to try and just go through routines and rituals and somehow you, you've sort of cut off the relational dynamic. Jesus says, no, you live because I live. It's my life imparted to your life. That's why Jesus is going to say in John chapter 15, you need to abide in me. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. We need to be receiving from the life of Jesus for the spiritual life. And this week ahead, may we be more conscious and aware of the reality of the Spirit's work and the Spirit of God trying to be our helper to assist us supernaturally to be empowered to live a Christian life. And, and again, let me just say this morning, if you're here, and I don't know the condition of everyone's heart, but God does, you cannot be a Christian apart from Jesus Christ. You can't just kind of naturally, kind of just gradually be become a Christian. Any more than, this is an old adage, but it's extremely true, than if you go and stand in a garage every Sunday, that eventually you turn into a car. That doesn't happen. And in the same way, great to come to church, great to read the Bible, but you cannot truly be a Christian unless Christ is living inside of you. This is the reality. This is what Jesus meant when he said... I stand at the door and I knock. And anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into them. Today, does Jesus live in you? Do you know that Jesus lives in you? If you're not sure or you know, yeah, okay, now I get that. Jesus doesn't live in me. I've been trying to learn about Jesus, sing to Jesus, but I don't know if Jesus lives in me. Today, Jesus can live in you. You can open your heart in faith and ask him to come into your life. Let's stand. Let's pray together.